Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 39 of the Yacking Podcast. And this is where we talk about life, business, and more. And we try and bring you tips and ideas for the very changing world we find ourselves in today. As always, we have a lot of interesting guests, and today is no exception. So first, let me welcome Kathleen, and she will introduce our guest. Hello, Kathleen. Welcome. Thanks for being here yet again, and over to you. Thank you so much, Peter, and welcome to all of you. We so appreciate you tuning in to our show, and of course, welcome all of your comments. And uh, if you are interested in becoming a, a guest on our show, please let us reach out to us. We would love to have you. And as Peter said, yes, we do have another interesting guest uh, with us today. Her name is Lori Strauss. Welcome, Lori. How are you? I'm fine, Kathleen. Thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, Lori, let's let's start with just have let's start with you telling us a little bit about your background and how you embarked on a writing career because you are a copywriter, an editor, and a German to English translator. <laughs> yes, correct. Um, so, just as my job title is quite varied, uh, my life was just varied, and you know, I, I think these days in school they're a bit more open in terms of when they ask kids what do you think of when you grow up? What do you want to be? Um, but like for me, I still have my, you know, that, that yearly annual school thing. You put your assignments in and stuff and the back of each one every year was something different. Um, <laughs> and there, at some point I eventually thought something was wrong with me because by like 18, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer. Um, but that to me just meant like writing books, Robert Munch. Um, I loved Jean Little in my preteen years and stuff. I went through a Nancy Drew phase. Where that's all I read for two years. I think, those white books right behind me is some of them. Collection. And then that just sort of, sort of fell by the wayside. Um, life took over. Uh, I went to university and I was like, well, I hadn't been noticed yet. I was expecting to be noticed by age 19. <laughs> like, anyways. Um, and so I ended up going to Germany for uh, three times over six years, but one year each. So Germany, Canada, Germany, Canada did my master's, tried the PhD twice, and both times life just got in the way and I had to stop. And that ended me up to sort of where I am now because I'd had various positions. I managed the registry theater a long time ago now, but for a few years I worked at Open Text in a couple of their departments. Um, so my career was varied as well. So once I realized you could actually write other stuff besides books, you know, I was like, yes. And I fell into it and loved it. Took a few online courses just to catch up to speed. And here I am. So. Wow. Excellent. Well how done. Did you, how did you come to do the German to English translation? Are you, is, is German your mother tongue? Or is that something you had to go to university to learn? I know you said you were in Germany, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's um, also not a straight path. So if there's anything I advocate to people, it's you don't have to choose your future when you're four, right? Um, Absolutely. Technically, yes, German was my, my, my native language. But by the time I was three, my parents is back in, you know, 1980 now. Um, my parents realized I couldn't understand anybody around here. Um, my parents were both born in Europe, but they had their, ch their childhoods here. So, you know, so they speak English like accent free. You wouldn't know they're from somewhere else if you talk to them. And so they switched completely to English. So I lost my German, but the German my parents taught me was standard German. The German my grandparents spoke was actually really strong dialect because they were Germans from Eastern Europe. 
Mm -hmm. So whereas Germany, um, the word for corn, for example, is mais, M-A-I-S, right? And these Germans in Eastern Europe would, of course, absorb like, absorbed words from the, the surrounding languages. And so I grew up in a house where, you know, you'd ask to pass the kukrutz, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I still like saying it's a fun word to say, kukrutz, you know. But <laughs> if I'd gone to Germany with that word, people would look at me like I was from another planet, you know. So it was a German that wouldn't have got me very far. I tried German school for a few years on and off, um, a little bit in grade school, uh, a little bit in high school. You got extra credit at that time. I think you still do. But when I got to the OAC German class, so grade 13, that teacher was from Switzerland, and I already had a hard time with the standard German because all I'd heard for all those years was my grandparents. And so I quit <laughs> at that point in time. I'm sure she was a really wonderful teacher, but I was like, I don't understand a word she's saying. Um, and then dance was a huge part of my life. And I had come into um, the Canadian national tap team in my first year of university. They were competing in Germany. I took a German course. It hit me that sweet spot where I got it and I wanted to keep learning. Had a crush on a guy too, that never hurts, right? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, then I, did, I dove right into it. I have a degree in psychology as well, like a, a double major. Wow. Um, German is what I took all the way. So I'm sorry, I know it's a long-winded answer to your question, but my life is not straightforward. So that ended me into exchange. I taught English in Germany and I teach my kids German now as best as I can. You know, so that's how I got into the translation aspect. It's a small right. part of my business. doesn't bring in too much because there are lots of translators who do German to English. Yes. Out there. It's English to German. I get asked for it and I keep saying, no, that's not what I do. There's a difference. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Certainly but an yeah. <laughs> interesting background. <clears throat> Laurie, because you're a writer, I'm going to ask you a question now yes. that I know all the, the aspiring writers that will be watching or listening to this interview, this uh, appearance of yours will be, it'll be a top of their minds. What do you, and you write in many varied uh, topics and genres. Yeah. What do you do when you get writer's block? That's a big one that comes up in all sorts of writers communities that I get I involved in. I know the, the biggest, the thing with writing, um, I mean, there's copywriting and then there's writing novels and fiction, which I do as well. And I find writers tend to romanticize writer's block. And they'll pull quotes from whatever writers about writer's block. And it becomes this whole big thing. And I was reading this one woman I really like to follow. And for those who are even just trying to get into writing for any reason, uh, no matter your age, uh, Daphne Gray Grant is her name. She's out in BC. I think it's Gray with an A, Gray Grant. And she had quoted somebody else whose name I can't remember anymore, who had said, I'm paraphrasing now, but they've written, they said, doctors don't get doctor's block. Plumbers don't have plumber's block. And actually has a whole different meaning. So, you know, it's why do writers romanticize about this not getting ideas? So there are, so to me, I don't talk about writer's block and I, I don't think I'm in denial. There are days where it's harder to write than others, but that's usually because of lack of sleep. Um, I do a sweet tooth, and if I eat too much sugar, the brain goes, <laughs> what are you doing to me? You know, wrong choice in diet. It can be that. Um, it can be stress. You know, I have two kids. I've got a husband. Like, it, there are all these other reasons that can keep me from being focused. And certainly when I worked in finance at OpenText, 
no one talked about, oh my God, you've administrative block today. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. no one talks yeah. about that. Right. So um, I, I find writers as a group can, generally speaking, really get sucked into all the reasons to not write, then either yes. don't write or write. You know, even if you're going to sit there and write, I don't know what to write, or you're going to swear through your fingers, doesn't matter. Just start and see what happens. Yeah. So great advice. Yeah. Yeah, very good advice. I, I like the, sorry, Pick. I like, I love that parallel with uh, doctors don't get doctor's block and plumbers. Don't get. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in fact, they actually meet to discuss where they're having problems, right? Yeah. You know, and, and some writers do too, but they have conferences and medical conferences to discuss how they're not coming forward and how they can move forward. And, and writers yeah. are getting there and they do that, but it's not part of the culture of being a writer. Yeah. I, it's amazing. I, I don't know how, but I've, I, I, I'm, I shouldn't talk. I've only written one book and I write a couple of blogs. So I write on average, Grammarly says about 20,000 words a week is what I write. Nice. Um, but that's everything. Emails, the whole two. But I've, I've ended up in a group on Twitter of, of writers and authors of, there's about 600 in the group. Can you oh. believe? Wow, it's huge. And uh, so many of them say, oh, today I'm struggling. I've got writer's block. And, and most of those who are talking like that are, are trying, to, trying to write their first, first book. So, yeah, as you say, a lot of them romanticize about it. Yeah. Back to you, Kathleen. One of the things that I remarked when I went to your website, Laurie, is how versatile you are you are. You write from social sciences to technology and everything in between. How do you do that? Does it require an enormous amount of research on your part? I think with, with being a writer, you have to know where your interests lie and what your voice is. And with writing, there's a whole spectrum. As a fiction writer, as long as you're not writing to market, like Nancy Drew has written to market, right? And still is. That's why it's still around. Um, if you're writing your own voice, you know, only Margaret Atwood is going to write like Margaret Atwood. The rest of us can try and emulate that. We're not Margaret Atwood. And so when I, you'd asked before about my background, um, that's what kind of happened. You know, like I said, in my teens, eventually, I think I, I started thinking there was something wrong with me because I couldn't settle on an interest. And it turns out it's because that what I do well is dive into something really deeply, really fast and pick it up really quickly. And then one day I'm done. Right. And when it's up to me, when I get to do that, then it can be a year, can be a few months, whatever. But when it comes to my writing, then it's instead of being super intense for a couple of years, like in my teens, I could have rhymed off numerous facts about, you know, Lois and Clark and the new adventures of Superman. <laughs> I still remember a few or Phantom of the Opera, whatever it was. But now that's just spread out. And mm -hmm. so I can shift gears. I can go into tech for a bit. I, I, I can't do anything that is really technical. So tech people to tech people where I specialize in is taking what they write, asking the right questions so I understand it, and then turning that into plain language. Mm. And that lets me do a bit about manufacturing, technology, um, language. You know, one of my clients is in the medical um, technology space. They do uh, registries for rare diseases. I don't have a science background. Social sciences, yes, but not hard sciences. They wanted someone who did not have the science background so I could write for uh, the uh, right. That's how that works. But it works with my personality as well. Other writers will be experts at something, agriculture, for example, and they will find within their niche. I say niche, not niche. <laughs> it's niche in my niche. mind. Um, you know, they sit, they find their clients within their niche. So it can go both ways. Very good. <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree with you. I I find I have a couple of copywriting clients, and 
those, those are not bad. And one is a foodstuff and one is an automotive uh, client. So, but I'm always been fascinated by things to do with cars, you know, and uh, so I don't have a problem with that. And, and the other one is mainly tea, and I love tea, so I don't have too much problem. And then I write for our own websites, everything from tiny houses to commenting on the virus to overcoming adversity is my big one on my own blog. And, and in those areas, I, I'm not too bad. Sometimes um, something that's a little bit out of those mainstreams, I, I struggle with. So I know what you're saying there. Yeah, very good. Uh, I was going to ask you how you market yourself. How do you market your services? Word of mouth or do you do a lot more than that? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are two parts to my business. There's, you know, the Laurie Strauss that we're mostly talking about today. And there's Laurie Wolf Hefner. It's my maiden mm -hmm. name. And that's, those are the books, whole different ballgame. So Laurie Strauss, my freelancing that we're talking about today, that one at this point now has come mostly word of mouth, which is a nice position to be in. Sure. Um, when you get to a point where you need some more clients, it can be difficult because you start to sort of relax a bit when people start coming to you. So you're not, so I'm, I'm not as active as I probably could be. Um, I mean, lauriestrauss.com, I do have a blog. I haven't you know, contributed to it for a very long time now, which does not look good, I have to admit. But it's just because I've been busy writing for other people. Sure. Um, so I do find I do better with in-person networking. Um, so my local chamber, for example, because... It, People either go, oh, you're a writer, and then they want to know about how to write the next book, and so we automatically have an in, like, a, or sorry, something yeah. we have something in common, yeah. or they say, I don't know what a copywriter is. What do you do? And so we almost always have something to talk about, and it just lets people get to know me a bit better. I, I find clients that come to me completely cold. It's a bit harder for me to do a better job because I didn't have that warm up period because. Once you sign the contract, the clock starts ticking. Whereas yep. when you're networking, you know, it, yes, it's my own time to put into that, but you get to know people a bit better. So, sure. yeah. Sure. And uh, just talk a little bit about your books that you write. The other side sure. of your book, how, how do you promote those? Those, that's a, that, that, that's, that's a uphill slog. <laughs> 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 um, you know, the, my, um, I've got two sons and I, I don't give their age out publicly online, but they're still in elementary school. Um, getting into the older half of that. And the one looked at my timekeeper as a freelance writer, you just get used to keeping your time for yes. your clients. So I use it for all of my work now. Right. And he said a few times like, mommy, you spend more time marketing your books than you do with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, really cute and heartbreaking at the same time. Right? Yeah. You know, so it's, um, it's learning how to do Amazon ads, Facebook ads, BookBub ads. Um, it's, you know, how to write your book descriptions, how to do um, book covers. I hired that out. The first person I hired out started out good. And it sort of went downhill, unfortunately. So after the fourth book came out, things changed and I had to get all four redone, yeah. anyway, which is an expense, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where they're at right now. Um, you know, and I was doing quite well actually selling at local markets. Mm -hmm. Obviously, oh, in 2020, yeah. that's not really yeah. going to happen. <laughs> So, um, but it, it's, it, it is an uphill slog there, there's no, I can't lie about that one. Yeah. Um, but it's vastly different from marketing services. Oh yes. Yeah. So, uh, I, I didn't ask you what, what genre do you write about in your fiction writing, your mm -hmm. own books? What are you, what are you writing? What's the topics? So, uh, my current series is called between worlds 
And if you want to search it up on Amazon, you have to look up under Lori Wolf Hefner because Between Worlds won't show up as a search term. Um, it is young adults, but in reality, my readership has gone as young as 10, if I don't include my younger son, all the way up to 90 plus. Right. And the books are contemporary historical, and they're about a 14-year-old girl who moves to Belmont neighborhood. And um, her grandfather is in the early stage of dementia, and her parents have decided that they need to move across the country to stay with him. Family is in the area, but the one sibling from the mother, the, the aunt, the sister, She's got six kids, a huge age gap. Um, one child is losing her sight. So she's ah. already consumed with, you know, her, her family. Yeah. And the other sibling, uh, um, a brother, his job takes him all over the world. So that puts Juliana, you know, into a whole new um, situation. And she discovers in her grandfather's basement an old book of drawings that were done by her great-grandmother, so his mom, when she was a teen after World War I in Eastern Europe. Ah, so interesting, it's, interesting. It's, I love writing it. Um, it's certainly based on my own family heritage, but it's not my family heritage in the sense I didn't say, okay, well, here's this person I know, change the name, there we go. There's a person, sure. change the name, there we go. Like, it's not like that either. Um, I take the stories I know, the research I know, and yes, it was inspired by one ancestor of my great-grandmother, um, but overall, everything is fictional, short of Belmont neighborhood and Belmont village. Right? Okay, so okay. the stores are fictional and the cafes are fictional, but I use the name because I love the area. So why not? Sure. I've got to throw in quickly, Kathleen. I know you, you want to ask Laurie something. It reminds me very much what Laurie's just been saying of another author we interviewed, Nancy Lou Henderson, a few weeks back finding all that stuff in an old cedar chest that had sat in her tool shed in her shed for what i don't know 15 years since her husband died or more longer i think 25 years and that led to four books huh? a yes, series yeah. of four books yeah uh, so just on that one um we in this group of twitter of people i'm fell in with in book people on twitter on friday we do this follow friday thing so we promote other writers on friday so what i will do is i'll stick I've, i found you on twitter eventually I'll stick you in there. So uh, that will get you some exposure to people who Thank like you. who like reading other writers' books. So there we go. Over to, you, over to you, Kathleen. Laurie, you will be um, taking part in a festival, a local festival called Bestival mm. that's coming up. Can you tell us a little bit more about that festival and more specifically your involvement with it? Absolutely. Um, so it, it's a small festival that is usually in person, but not this year, of course. And it takes place in Belmont Village. And this year would have been the fourth year in person. They've taken it virtual. And I, I don't know yet what the final product of that will be. But right now they're in the midst of a social media campaign where um, they, they had learned that Belmont Village, at least as an area, had begun in, in the 1930s. And I forget when the shops started coming up, but the infrastructure was laid in the 30s as part of a depression era um, works program. I don't know mm -hmm. the details. So with um, Bestival Online this year, each week they're doing a different um, decade starting in the 30s. And they've, I've seen recipes for you know, milkshakes and retro Caesar salad. Mm -hmm. And um, an artist friend of mine, she had discovered in her own history that her grandfather, I believe, was stationed at one of the Japanese internment camps, you know, during World War II mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as a soldier, not as, yep. you know, not, not, as a, not as a prisoner. And so, you know, she developed some art 
inspired by that. So it, it, they've got this eclectic mix of artists and really in the broad sense of the term, cooks, artists, writers, musicians, mm -hmm. all of it. And every day there's something different online, Instagram and Facebook. For me, um, when I was speaking with Tim, he's the creator behind Bestival, um, we were trying to figure out what I could do given that my books take place in Belmont Village. And nothing really suited what he was going for because the historical aspect takes place in Eastern Europe in the 1920s, mm -hmm. 1920 specifically, and the contemporary one starts in 2019. So we're not really getting, there's not too much historical going on that way. And with the books currently, it's only going to be in book eight that I'll really dig into um, Kitchener, the rubber factory history, and, and like where the books really become local and can only be written here. So I told Tim I have this idea for a romance series, a sweet romance series called Love on Belmont. Yeah. And I said, I can do a short story for you. And it's about tea, actually, Peter. Really? Yeah, <laughs> so that's good. It's a, it's a tea <laughs> shop. So I'm, I'm not a black tea drinker. I am now learning how to drink black tea. And so I, um, I've been working with some cross promotion with all things tea in Belmont Village. And so I talked to George and Susan and said, do you guys mind? If I'm not going to use your store, but it will be a fictional tea shop. You're the only tea shop here. Right. People, there's going to be a connection somehow. Um, there isn't, um, but that's uh, another topic. Anyways, but you know, do you mind if I use a tea shop? And they said sure, and they were like totally gung ho behind the idea. So I've created a short romance that I'll read online, um, August 28th, and I believe they'll be broadcasting to Facebook and Instagram. Wow, well done. Very good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Very good. So um, we have a little bit of time left. What I wanted to ask you, a lot of other writers ask me what tools I use. And I'm, I use very simple. I put it on a Word doc and um, <laughs> I, and back up regularly. I, I remember right at the beginning, I lost many pages by not backing up frequently back yes. when things weren't reliable. But as, as a, a more prolific and more professional writer than I am, what tools do you use? What advice could you give new writers for as far as tools go? Do you use so, Scrivener, Scrivener, for instance? Yeah. So, I mean, as far as tools go, go slowly. There are a lot of things out there um, that can be squirrels, you know, with the wrong person. Yep. That being said, if I list things off, um, I do need to use Word so I can send my drafts to my editors. Yep. But I use Scrivener. I use Scapple. S-A-P-P-L-E. Yes. -E, company. Yep, yep. For brainstorming. I have just begun using Plotter. P-L-O-T-T-R. No E. Oh. And that, I mean, in Scapple you can plot, in Scrivener you yeah. can plot, but this one, it's, it's just a bit more visual and I don't know, a little airier. Maybe it's exciting because it's new software. I don't know. Um, I use uh, Perfectit for consistency checking. That's through Word right now. I use ProWritingAid to help with um, sort of mid-level editing. I use BookBrush to help me create a lot of different graphics with my book covers. Mm -hmm. I use Real People for um, human editing and for wow. cover design. Wow, that's a I fair that's bit. <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. 
Yeah, we Kathleen and I just found Scaffold uh, last week, well, oh, okay. and um, we just started using it. It's it's magic because yeah. I've used mind maps a lot, but mind maps to me are all one dimensional. You can sort of keep on going out this way, but it's hard to move things all over. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I like Scaffold. I just started, but I find it it good. Yeah, cool. I I use it particularly for plotting blog posts, and in fact for yes. um, assignments for my 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 particularly my tea client, so I can put ideas all over the page and change them around. Yeah, good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Kathleen, you got anything else to ask, Laurie? Well, Laurie, if somebody wanted to reach out and, and uh, contact you, how is what's the best way for them to do that? Um, oh, the best. So the best way is just to go to lauriestrauss.com. L-O-R-I-S-T-R-A-U-1-S.com. And if they're looking for my fiction books, they can just click on fiction at the top there. It will take them to my other website. Um, and if they're looking for copywriting help, then lauriestrauss.com is the place to be. And I got to add to that, having spent time on your website, that uh, it's very well organized because if you scroll down, there's the buttons. If you're a small business owner or if you're a marketing person or if you want your thesis edited or if you want a translation, there's a separate button for each. Very yeah well-organized, easy to follow. So that's good. We will put that there. So to our listeners and viewers, you can find that at the beginning and the end of the video and the podcast and uh, during the the video as well. We still have a couple of moments. Uh, Laurie, you've been obviously been working it from what you're saying, working from home for a long time. Um, What advice can you give to people who, because of the virus, have suddenly found themselves working at home? What's your best bit of advice for people? Um, if you have young kids, teach them to knock. I mean, mine have stopped knocking, but <laughs> when they were young, it was very helpful. Um, and, you know, if they're really young, then you need to find ways to spend time with the kids and then go back to your job, spend time with the kids, go back to the job. And depending on your child's temperament, um, you might be able to also teach them that they're allowed to be in the room with you, but they must be quiet. And yet you have to be strict about that. Um, but they can be coloring. And so that those can be helpful tips for people with kids at home that still want parental attention mm-hmm. and the kids don't want the attention anymore. It's not as much of a problem. Um, <laughs> also know who you are. If you're an extrovert, really find a way to make sure that you get, um, that you get that extroversion part of you acknowledged and, you know, and, and yeah, acknowledged and, and out there, even if it's regular zoom calls with friends. Um, yeah. So I would also suggest where possible have a dedicated work area. If that's not possible, have a bit of a routine. So every morning you set up your work area at night, you take it down mm-hmm. and that will help, you know, your living room feel like a living room at certain times and feel like an office at other times. I have a dedicated room now. Um, you know, but that's my job. It's my business. I do work from home. This is where my business is located. So those would be like a few things. Oh, and I think $25 on Amazon or 35, it's just a sponge in here. When the kids get too loud, you just <laughs> shove them on your ears and, you know, you're good to go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, but do not use that with young kids. You won't hear them. Right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And yeah. um, what about routine? Do you, do you find it helps to have a, a start at this time and finish at this time? Keep it as if you were going to work in an office? I do. I mean, Part of the reason that I chose to work from home after I'd gotten laid off at one point, I worked part-time at the University of Waterloo in their, um, in a, the German, sorry, the Waterloo Center for German Studies. And I eventually transitioned to just working from home because it was better for family life for us. We didn't pay for childcare after school, that kind of stuff. 
So I would say if you're working from home, really try and schedule your work around your family within reason. Yeah. Like I said, you don't want the kids barging on you all the time for every single little thing. They've got to learn how to deal with stuff on their own, you know, and that's up to each parent to figure out best how to work with that. But yeah, routine of sorts. So I will not do freelancing past five o'clock. Um, and, you know, unless it's a client I'm working with for five or six years, if there is an email at six, I don't answer it until the next morning because I can't get into that schedule with them where I'm constantly on my phone. Um, and fiction, I will work on where I need to, but most right. that's predominantly in the evenings because if the kids need me, the fiction is not a major income generator right now. It'll be sure. a few years before it is. Then the kids need me and that has to be set to the side. So sure. yeah, exactly. So you got to work with your family, work with your schedule. But uh, one friend actually had the uh, suggestion, if you have your own office, close the door at the end of the day when you're done. Yep. And there's something in your head that just goes, okay, I'm done. And that can help too. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. No, good, good advice for everyone. Yeah. Uh, I think we're nearly there. So Kathleen, yeah. I'm going to send it back to you to do your special bit at the end. And from me, Laurie, yeah. thank you very much for being here. And uh, it was well, great, you, great talking to you. And uh, yeah, we'll be in touch again. That is for sure. Over to you, <laughs> Kathleen. Sounds good. <laughs> Yes, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Lori. And thank all of you again for tuning in. We so appreciate you and your comments. Once again, if you are interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining. Okay, bye. <laughs>